Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.51 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is Friday, 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 the 12th of May, 2023. And this is episode 725 of Bitcoin and going to do something just a little bit different today. I don't normally do a long read. I mean, some of the reads get kind of long, but what I mean by long read is like out of a book or in this particular case, uh, a chapter of a book. I have been reading the book entitled Holistic Management, third edition from Alan Savory. And last night, I read this chapter and I just immediately knew what it was that I was going to be talking about (laughs) this morning because there's a lot, there's a lot in here. The the name of the, the title of the chapter is money and labor. At least one of these tools is always required. Happens to be chapter 16 out of Alan Savory's Holistic Management, third edition. If you don't know who Alan Savory is, I highly recommend that you go and look Alan Savory up. A-L-L-A-N Savory, S-A-V-O-R-Y. He is, I think he's, I believe he's from Zimbabwe. Uh, Yeah, pretty sure it's Zimbabwe. He was born and raised there. He uh, fought in the Civil War there. Uh, He's got a really interesting background. And he was responsible, and he'll tell you this himself, he was responsible for thousands of African elephant deaths because of a faulty understanding of land management. He's going to go, he's told people this before. He's going to go to his grave with that on his conscience. And everything in his life that he does now is sort of in repentance for getting it wrong, right? So he writes, one of the things that he's done is he's written this book called Holistic Management, which is a tome. And holistic management is a management style that can be applied to land management, national park management, but you know, it's not really just about soil. It's not really all about plants. You can use holistic management and the the methods described in this book to look at how you run your company, how you run your family, to look at things as a whole. And I mean, H, you know, W-H-O-L-E, whole, like the whole thing, a holistic view. And this entire book gives tools and and ways of thinking that enable management at a scale that we really we really haven't seen this kind of management style, right? So the book is Holistic Management, and I'm going to read chapter 16, Money and Labor, At Least One of These Tools is Always Required. Once upon a time, 
People supported themselves by applying creativity and labor, or brains and brawn, directly to the raw resources of our ecosystem. Many societies still do this, as do farm and ranch families who don't pay for the labor of family members. Both then and now, we used our creativity to obtain the maximum effect with as little labor as possible. Because money and labor are often linked, for example, cash can be exchanged for labor, and because neither can be used other than through another tool, we group them together in the holistic management framework. Ideally, our natural tendency to economize on labor should apply equally to money. But money is more complicated matter. And this isn't often the case. Some years ago, I spoke to a group of agricultural economists and asked them to define wealth. They grappled over the question and in the end, only defined wealth as money. Well, once upon a time, money probably did perfectly represent wealth, but that was a long time ago. And the fact that many experts still believe it is a disturbing aspect of modern times. Money has been the oil that has kept the wheels of society turning and allowed the complexity of our present civilization to develop. But credit, the centralized creation of money, interest, and particularly compound interest, have seriously destabilized the relationship between money and the goods and services or wealth it originally represented. Wealth versus money. In my lifetime alone, the distinction between wealth and money has probably become more blurred than at any time in history. High interest was usurious when I was a child. Now that's seen as quaintly old-fashioned. Major banks move headquarters to states with more lenient usury laws and still retain com customer confidence. Where it was once unacceptable for lenders to advertise or engage in aggressive promotion it is now commonplace. Money itself has become a commodity like grain or oil that earns money and can be traded internationally. The use of credit cards and the electronic speed up of monetary transactions has blurred the distinction further. Advancing technology has provided ever more creative ways to make money rapidly available from online banking, to cell phone banking that enables pastoralists living remotely to conduct transactions in the capital city. But some bankers have also found clever ways to create wealth that is entirely artificial, with destructive consequences for those taken in by the ruse, such as the one million Americans who lost their homes in the subprime mortgage crisis of 2008. Today's fortunes can be made overnight on the international trade in money or currency speculation, where real goods or services play no part at all. The amounts of money involved in this trade in any one day, $5. trillion per day in 2013, or $200 billion per hour, exceed that of most nations' annual budgets. It becomes easy as one stands in a plush, air-conditioned bank humming with electronic activity to lose sight of the underlying reality of wealth in the financial resources we manage. Whatever the source of the money, real goods and services, including information or corporate takeover, it all looks the same as we stare at the dollar bills or the computerized spreadsheet. The urban life most people lead seldom reflects any distinction between money and wealth. 
Those managing global financial markets are unaware of agriculture's role in sustaining economies and of the environmental destruction created through unsound practices, although there is a small movement of former managers attempting to change this. In the meantime, many farmers and ranchers are learning to distinguish between the types of money or wealth available and are pursuing strategies to create an agriculture our planet can sustain. Most of the holistic contexts we create, whether they apply to us as individuals or to a nation as a whole, should involve a sustainable source of wealth because the reality, wealth, is more vital, vital than the symbol, money, in the long haul. However, to manage wealth, it has become today where a dollar, pound, euro, or rupee, regardless of source, can purchase the same things as any other dollar. We must first understand the three most basic sources of wealth the dollar represents. Mineral dollars, paper dollars, and solar dollars. Mineral dollars. Money can be derived from a combination of human creativity, labor, and natural resources that are mined, used once, or sometimes recycled. I call these mineral dollars. Coal, oil, gas, gold, and other minerals fall into this category, hence the name. Depending on how they are used, other natural resources can fall into this category. Although they should not, soils in modern industrialized agriculture are being mined until exhausted or eroded away. Thus, dollars generated from them are mineral dollars. Ocean life, too, is being mined rather than harvested sustainably, and money gained from such practices would be mineral dollars. If, after use, water is too polluted for reuse, any production from it would yield mineral dollars. Paper dollars. Many of us acquire money through human creativity and labor alone. I refer to this source as paper dollars. The beauty of such income is that it consumes no other resources. All we have to do is apply our creativity in thousands of different ways to the many avenues open for investment, speculation in futures markets, stocks, bonds, corporate takeovers, and so on. On the other hand, various services, many of them essential, also fall into this category. Lawyers, consultants, educators, accountants, civil servants, armies, and so on do not actually make anything or produce the kind of elemental wealth that supports life. But they do enhance and protect that wealth, and life without them would be inconceivable today. Professional speakers, entertainers, athletes, and many others also reap paper dollars for the services they provide. And although they don't produce tangible goods, they make life genuinely more pleasurable. In some cases, the money generated in this category has the fascinating characteristic of apparently instant and unlimited accessibility. We can make fortunes in a day with nothing but our creativity and minimal effort in the stock market or overnight currency trading. On the other hand, this money can vanish as quickly as it appeared. Paper dollars are backed by confidence in the government and the banking system. And when that confidence is lost, paper dollars can lose their value overnight. I have lived through such a calamity and still possess several $100 trillion banknotes barely worth the paper they were printed on. 
solar dollars. Third, we can generate income from human creativity, labor, and such constant sources of energy as geothermal, heat, wind, tides, wave action, falling water, and most of all, sun. I call this last class of money solar dollars. Such energy as a source of wealth is non-cyclical, but it is apparently inexhaustible. A characteristic of wealth derived from this combination is that it tends not to damage our life support system or to endanger humankind as far as we know. A further characteristic is that wealth in this category is the only kind that can actually feed people. Unfortunately, this requires the conversion of solar energy through plants that themselves depend on water and biologically active soils. Since more than 99% of our food comes from the land and less than 1% from marine and aquatic ecosystems, maintaining and augmenting the world food supply depends on the productivity and quality of our soils. Only when plants grow on regenerating soils would the money earned from timber, crop, or forage qualify as solar dollars. Keeping the three categories of money in mind enables us to see the extent to which failure to do so governs our society now. Economists daily engage in juggling paper dollars, sublimely unaware of what those dollars actually represent in terms of real wealth. On the advice of these same economists via business advisors, agricultural extension officers, or salespeople, farmers diligently pursue mineral dollars while consumptively mining their soils to do so. Some 75 billion tons of soil erode from the world's agricultural lands each year. In other words, for each half ton of food we produce, the amount required to feed one person for a year, we are producing more than 10 tons of eroding soil. Conclusion Sooner or later, the underlying basis of a nation's or an individual's quality of life asserts its nature. A country rolling in oil revenue today must ask itself to what end the cash flows in. The nation that thrives by burning the oil must ask what that does to the greater ecosystem that sustains us all. What will happen to the nation's long-term quality of life and productive base? If the wealth from oil goes to accumulating paper dollars and to support unproductive legions of bureaucrats, accountants, soldiers, and others who consume and keep transactions going but do not enhance the nation's ability to increase or maintain its biological capital, is that sound? In other words, is it sound if a nation's resource base deteriorates while it wallows in paper dollars or produces yet further mineral dollars from its agriculture? Shouldn't some of the dollars from non-renewable mineral wealth go to develop ways to reap solar and mineral dollars on a sustainable basis? One of the seven checks used to ensure actions are in context, see part six, asks you to consider the source of the money and how it is to be used. If you are a land manager, this is a reminder to consider seriously the source of dollars invested or reinvested in the business and how that relates to what you have expressed in your holistic context. 
All forms of money will figure in your plans, but the wealth that ultimately will sustain your business, community, and nation is that derived from solar dollars produced from plants growing on regenerating soils. There is nothing inherently wrong with either mineral or paper dollars, but being more aware of their limitations is essential, particularly for those involved in directing global financial markets who appear to remain unconcerned by the staggering loss of biological capital it took to grow those markets. Only solar dollars can produce the biological capital that can sustain humanity in the long run. Whatever forms of wealth you control, your success depends on how creatively you use them. Thus, we look at human creativity next. So, you know, that's just one chapter of the book Holistic Management. I highly recommend reading this book. It's, it's, it, it's a book that I actually had, I had to work up to it. I, you know, I read a lot. I read a lot about pasture management. I read a lot about soils. I read a lot about biology of soils, the chemistry of soils. It's, it's, you think that you pick up a book like this and you're like, oh, it's just another book. I had to put it down after chapter, I want to say like 10 or 11, because it just was, I knew that I had to read more of other things before I actually got into this particular book, because it's, it's a complete, it's a completely different way of looking at things. But what I found most fascinating was when I hit this chapter, because Alan sounds a lot like a Bitcoiner, even though he's not, you know, he's definitely, he's definitely up there. I think he's in his seventies at this point. I mean, he's still working. Don't get me wrong. He's still doing his thing and he's making, you know, African De well, things that have been desertified because it was, he was one of the, okay, well, he was one of the people that when he was younger, talking about 20s and 30s, he was working for, basically he was doing wildlife management for the state. And they thought at the time that parts of Zimbabwe were being desertified because of animal impact. Nobody knew any better. You know, Alan was a, was a young guy. He didn't know any better. But that type of thinking caused them and caused Alan to suggest that a lot of the animals, specifically the elephants, needed to be taken off the land. And when it came to elephants, the only way to really do that one was to cull them. And talking about something like, I want to say the number is 25,000 African elephants were slaughtered on Alan Savory's recommendation. And he is going to go to his grave in sorrow that he did that. And he said that. I'm not saying that for him. I'm not speaking for Alan Savory. He said that. He's, going to, he's basically doing repentance for the rest of his natural born life for what he caused to occur in Zimbabwe and other African states because it kind of spilled over, right? But they really thought that the animals were doing this. And then, and then what happened? They, well, they did the thing. They killed the elephants. They drove the wildebeest off. They did all kinds of stuff to get the animals off the land so that the land could do what? Repair itself. Let it lay fallow. And what happened? 
The spaces between the clumps of grass grew wider and wider and wider. And the desertification actually started to accelerate at that point. And they couldn't figure it out. They, they're like, we have no idea what the hell's going on. It's actually getting worse faster. Without getting into any of the, more of the details, Alan started thinking, we might have screwed this up. And in fact, he was entirely correct. Because what happens without those animals impacting the soil, the soil caps. It gets a cap on it, gets a crust. Light rains will pound down on it. And if, it, if a raindrop directly strikes the soil, it will kind of, well, it kind of brings the light particles to the surface and the heavier particles down a little bit. And then when that dries out, you've got a crusty surface. So the next time it rains, less water soaks in. And the only way to break that up is have animals on it. And now one of the entire one of the entire impetuses for the construction and writing of this book, Holistic Management, was how do we manage animals and land together in a way that makes sense. And that's what Alan does now. And he re he repairs and mends thousands of acres at a time. I think he's got like, you know, hundreds of thousands of acres under his belt that have started to come back. And you see the pictures of like the before and after pictures, and it's astounding at just, this is why I get very, very angry when people that don't know anything about this at all haven't even tried to pick up a book about the relationship of animals to soil, tell the ranchers that they're killing the planet. They're not. A good rancher understands this relationship and there are many, many good ranchers. I can't include confined animal feeding operations because essentially they take the animals off of the land. They're, they're part of the problem. But that doesn't mean that I hate the owners. Okay, unless the owner is straight up Cargill, then yeah, they can go, they can go screw it, right? But if it's like a small family ranch that turned into a smaller CAFO that then sells the animals to Cargill or whatever, my heart kind of goes out to them because those guys are stuck 100% in a CAFO because of the way economies have grown up around cattle and Cargill and U.S. foods and the big four processing plants for meat, right? And that's one of the reasons why I was so struck with some of the things that Alan said in this particular chapter. Like I spoke to a group of agricultural economists and I asked them to define wealth and they grappled. Economists, they grappled over that question and in the end only defined wealth as money. <laughs> with no I've said it several times on this show before. There are wealth is a kind or money is a kind of wealth. And I'm talking cold, hard cash, U.S. dollars or rubles or whatever. I don't really care. It's just whatever the cash of the, of the country you're living in. If you've got it, that is a form of wealth. What about the wealth of your family? What about the 
the wealth that you can produce off of the in the backyard of your own house? What about the wealth of your community? You know, your neighbors, like if you really needed some help and you know your neighbors really, really well, well there's a wealth there. And that's sort of where holistic management and one of the reasons why it, it took me a couple of times trying to read this book for me to just, the third time is the charm because I put it down twice. It's not that I couldn't understand it. I was like going, I need to be in a, I need to be in a different place before I can pick this thing up. Because that's what this entire book is talking about. Different kinds of management. And why do you manage anything? Production. At one point or another, you're, something needs to fall out of this thing. And it's production. Whether you're managing your family and you want to produce moral, ethical children. You know, if you have a backyard and you want to, I don't know, propagate goji berry plants and sell it at a farmer's market. You're, you know, you're, you're using the capital that is your backyard to produce goji berries. So these are, when I speak about wealth, I'm speaking about all manner of wealth. And these guys, these economists that he's talking about, they got it wrong too. They just, they don't know what wealth is. They just think money. They think commodities markets and futures contracts. And that's, that's so one, it, it's not even one-sided. It's such, a, it's such a narrow view of what wealth is. It is no wonder we find ourselves with a banking crisis just 15 years after a subprime mortgage crisis, $100 million or $100 trillion notes that were issued by the Bank of Zimbabwe, because that's what he's referring to, right? It's, it's amazing. And the thing that I loved the most was his description of mineral dollars, paper dollars, and solar dollars. You know, we're, like what kind of dollars are you getting? You're like the, the dollars made from minerals, oil extraction, coal extraction, selling it, burning it, producing energy with it. I get it. I'm not hysterical about burning oil for energy. And in, in, very, in many, many ways, sometimes I think that we're supposed to get this stuff so that we can put a shit ton more carbon in the form of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere because we're going to have a lot more population on the face of the planet and the plants are going to need carbon dioxide. I understand if you're automatically laughing, but there's something to that. It's simplistic. I get it. And if I was in the same room with a PhD environmental, you know, sciences and atmospheric guy, I would, he'd probably try to kill me. But I honest, honestly believe in using the carbon that's in the atmosphere to get it in back into the topsoil, not 10,000 feet below ground, which is where a lot of oil is, or 5,000, or like back in the day, you could strike oil at, you know, 3,000 feet in some places like the Permian Basin. Most of it was at 7,000, 8,000, but then you get to the deeper stuff like 10 to 15,000 feet. You know, it's it, that's not doing any good. If I can have a bunch of carbon that's in the atmosphere converted into soil exudates or root exudates 
and little critters and skeletons and chitin and fungi and all manner of stuff. And it's in the top 10 inches of soil. Well, now you've got really high quality, healthy soils that cycle nutrients, that hold water, and you're going to want all that. But what's actually going on on the planet? Many places are becoming deserts. There's an entire desertification going on. And that's one of the things that, that Alan Savory tries to, that's, what he, that's his penance for the things that he did when he was young. And again, I'm not putting words into his mouth. This is what Alan has said. This is why he's doing the things that he's doing. But the solar dollar, that's the thing that I'm the most interested in. Like, I never fertilized my lawn in Canyon, Texas. This is one of the hottest, driest places you'll find in the panhandle of Texas. It doesn't rain that much. And the way that I handled my front lawn, because I didn't rip it out and turned it into, you know, vegetable gardens, I was thinking about it, but then we moved. And so I can't do it now. But at the time, I knew that if I just mowed my lawn as high as I could, and that was like the four and a half inches was the highest level that I could get my lawnmower at at the time. If I could do that, then the tall grass would shade the ground and I wouldn't, like water wouldn't evaporate and it would keep the soil cooler because there was more aspect of shade coming off taller blades of grass. I watered in, again, one of the hottest, driest places in the panhandle of Texas, which is one of the hottest, driest places on the, on the planet. It's a high desert. Classified as a high desert. The Great Plains, it's not exactly like, you know, it, it can get de desert-y. Ain't exactly lush all the time, right? But especially down south, getting into Texas, it gets bad, bad droughts. And while we were in Canyon, there was a couple of them. And I watered my front lawn exactly three times. Because one of the aspects of tall grass in a desert is that it collects moisture in the early morning. When that dew point and that moisture in the atmosphere starts condensing on the grass, the grass will, will literally drink it up through its own leaf material. And if it's a heavy dew, it will wet the ground. And since my grass was high, it shaded all that. So the evaporation coefficient wasn't as bad. So all these people, they were, they were, they were literally having to water their lawn every day. They cut their grass as short as they could get it because everybody wants that, apparently. I, I don't know why. My lawn looked great. And their lawns always looked like garbage. But my lawn looked perfect. And I never fertilized it. I never put phosphate on it. I never put anything on it. I never sprayed for bugs. I didn't do any of that. All I did was mow. And every once in a while, I'd go out there with a hose and a sprinkler set and move it around. I did that maximum three times a summer in Texas where it's hot. Solar dollars, I think, have the biggest bang for our buck going forward. So I know that that's not directly part of what Bitcoin is about, but it kind of is. You got to make the stretch in your own mind. 
You can do that while we run the numbers. Hey, before we get into uh, doing markets and commodities and whatnot like that, I want to tell you about a house that I am part owner of uh, in southern or southwestern Colorado. Name of the house is Aspenwood. And we have it listed on VRBO. And I will have the listing in the show notes if you want to, you know, if you want to go. And here's the reason why you want to go. It's in the middle of the San Juan Mountains. It's not in Durango. It's outside of Durango. It's out in a little hamlet that's next to a lake. The house itself is not on the lake, okay? But you can go, you can walk to it. You can ride a bike to it. You can drive your, I mean, when I, it's like a mile, it's, what is it, a mile? Yeah, it's about like one mile away, but it's in the same valley. It's all part of the same community. There's, you know, 12, 10,000, 12,000, 13,000 foot peaks that are in view of this house. And it's on a really quiet street. At night, there's like no traffic there's literally, there's one road that goes all the way up to the valley until it just dead ends at a campground. So there's no traffic. It's a perfect quiet spot for you and your family to go enjoy Southwest Colorado. It's got three full bedrooms. Okay. It sleeps eight people. It has three full baths. That means shower, tub, toilet, and sink. It has a full kitchen. I'm not talking one of these vacation kitchens. I'm talking a full-size oven, full-size range, refrigerator. It has all the dishes. It has all the glasses. It's got all the cutlery, pots and pans, toaster. It's got an outdoor grill, blender, coffee grinder, you name it, right? It's got what? What else we got? We, I got a satellite TV, a washer and dryer. There's parking enough for a full-sized RV. There's you know, it's if you go in the winter, there's a full wood burning stove, right? So if you like one of the things that you can do while you're up there, aside from go rent a boat and go hit the lake or go fishing in any one of the streams, you can go to Mesa Verde National Park as a day trip. It's like 60 miles away. And that's where the Anasazi were back, you know, way back in the day. You get those cliff dwellings. Yeah, Mesa Verde National Park is right there. So go rent the house. It's like three bedrooms, sleeps eight. It's two, you know, 250 bucks a night. It's a hell of a lot cheaper than trying to get two rooms at a Holiday Inn. It's a lot cheaper than that. And there are, there's availability pretty much the entire first part of June. If you want to go, that's a perfect time to go. July 4th, uh, the 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th are open. And they have a, the lake has a fireworks display for July the 4th. It's a big deal. It's like a great big party. So think about it, right? Just click on the link, look at the pictures, and think about it. So I'm advertising for myself. Yes, I know. But I've never really talked about this. And I've been going up there since I was 18 years old to this house. I never really want to go anywhere else. There's a reason for that. Now, 
CNBC futures and commodities. They got oil down 0.83% to $70.28 a barrel. Brent North Sea crude is down 0.8 as well to $74.38. Natural gas is the only thing moving up and by a hell of a lot, 5.39% to the upside, back up to $2.30 per thousand. Gasoline is down two thirds of a point to $2.44. Shiny metal rocks having eh, a pretty bad day, honestly, except for gold, which is down just scant. Uh, $2,019.90. Silver is down 1.1%. Platinum is down 3.63%. Copper is up two thirds of a point, but palladium is down two and two thirds of a point. Ag is mixed pretty much uh biggest winner today is going to be rough rice one and a half percent to the upside the biggest loser is soybeans down just under a point i got live cattle up a buck or up a percent i got lean hogs down scant 0.06 and feeder cattle is 1.19 percent in positive territory dow is down a third of a point s p is down a half point NASDAQ is down two-thirds of a point. S&P mini, down one-third of a point. And as you might imagine, Bitcoin's having its problems today too. $26,299.26. And that is after, what, uh, 323,000 BTC have been sent in the last 24 hours. Uh, 0.66 BTC is the average transaction value and the median transaction value is rising up steadily. 0.00018 BTC or $4.67. And block times are pretty much right right on 10 minutes, 10 minutes and four seconds to be exact. I got 1.19 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 167.4 BTC taken overall in fees in the last 24 hours. And for whatever reason, miners decided to unplug 15.9 or 15.29% of all their hash rate, bringing us to 344.6 exahashes per second. Dogecoin, your shitcoin indicator is doing 7.1 United States pennies. So do with that what you will. $510.5 billion is Bitcoin's market cap. That is 3.78% of gold's market cap. Uh, You can get 13.1 ounces of gold with one Bitcoin. There are 19,371,136.96 Bitcoin in circulation. 5,354 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $141.1 million. We have 73 thousand and seventy six payment channels that we know about sixty five point three percent of all that's being run over tor we have a negative estimated difficulty change of 0.4 percent coming in may the 18th 2023 mempool is very very packed packed and stacked i got 198 blocks waiting to clear and they're carrying 325,000 unconfirmed transactions. Low priority fee is 103 Satoshis per V-byte. 142 Satoshis per V-byte will get you into the next block. Uh, Let's see what their, uh, this is mempool.space and I'm over out there on their mining and I'm looking at their hash rate. They're saying the hash rate right now is 331.4 exahashes per second and that the average transaction fee is 35.5 satoshis per transaction that's going to be about nine dollars and 37 cents per transaction as long as your transaction isn't like you know 
huge with lots and lots of signatures. Now, uh, Boostagrams from episode 724, yesterday's show. I only got three. Nick underscore dose with 2345 says, cheers. And God's death with 100 says, thank you, sir. I am now down to number eight in the fountain charts. And yeah, I know it's probably, I probably shouldn't worry about it all that much because it's a, you know, I guess it could be considered a, uh, you know, a popularity contest. I don't know. But I know that when I'm up in the charts, I get more listeners. And I've really taken a hit on listens as of late. So I don't know if I'm doing something wrong or, or, and this is what I really think it is. I think we're exhausted. I think all the Bitcoiners are exhausted. I'll bet you I'm not the only one that's seeing a decreased rate of listenership because we're like, oh my God, the bear market just, it keeps going, it keeps going. Yeah, it's going to do that for a while. If you can help me out with Boostagrams, you know, uh, streaming me Satoshis for listening to the show and try to get me back up into the top five, dude, I'd be super appreciative appreciative of that because it helps. And God knows I need all the help I can get. <laughs> That's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. And we do have news. United States Chamber of Commerce slams the Securities and Exchange Commission. It backs Coinbase in its legal fight. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce is backing Coinbase. Oh, my, my, my. Andre Bogansky for Decrypt.co. The United States Chamber of Commerce called out the Securities and Exchange Commission on Thursday slamming the financial watchdog for its regulatory approach toward the digital asset industry. It filed an amicus brief in support of Coinbase, which took the SEC to court last month. The exchange wants a court to force the SEC to respond to its so-called petition for rulemaking filed last July. The petition asked the SEC to propose and adopt rules for digital assets and answer questions related to regulation. Now Coinbase has one of the largest business organizations in the world standing behind it. The United States Chamber of Commerce represents the interests of more than 3 million businesses and organizations throughout the country, from small businesses to global corporations, according to its website. Amicus briefs are legal documents containing information or advice related to a specific court case and are provided by third parties. And the United States Chamber of Commerce accused the SEC of intentionally sowing uncertainty to keep the digital asset industry on ice. That is one hell of an accusation. Quote, the SEC has deliberately muddied the waters by claiming sweeping authority over digital assets while deploying a haphazard enforcement-based approach. This regulatory chaos is by design, not happenstance, it wrote. To be clear, Coinbase isn't asking a court to force the SEC to adopt new rules for digital assets. The exchange simply wants a response, which it is legally entitled to within a reasonable amount of time, and the SEC's lack of response has destabilized the regulatory environment surrounding crypto, the United States Chamber of Commerce claimed. Coinbase has staked its brand on regulatory compliance and transparency, yet 
It was hit with a Wells notice in March where the SEC warned it could soon take enforcement action against the exchange. The agency's alleged Coinbase's uh, the agency alleged Coinbase's staking products are unregistered securities and referenced other parts of its business like the Coinbase wallet. The United States Chamber of Commerce also argued the SEC's regulatory approach conflicts with firms' rights to fair notice, where companies are required to have sufficient notice as to what's improper behavior before action is taken against them. Quote, the SEC's actions are not just harmful policy, they're unlawful. The United States Chamber of Commerce wrote, adding that the agency's refusal to announce the rules of the road in combination with actions conflicts with the right to due process. Relying on enforcement actions to issue regulatory clarity is harmful in other ways, the United States Chamber of Commerce contends, stifling the public's ability to play a role in providing input on how digital assets should be regulated. Quote, By proceeding through enforcement, the SEC has denied the public any opportunity to comment on its invocation of Depression-era laws to assert judication over a $1 trillion industry, it wrote. It deprives the entire public of its right to be heard. Okay, U.S. Chamber of Commerce is not an agency to exactly sneeze at, right? They, they got some street cred in Washington. It's, it's a big deal. And the fact that they're taking Coinbase's side is a big deal. That's a big deal. Will it change anything? I don't know. We'll have to watch and see. But this is a hell of a development. This isn't the Small Business Administration getting into it. Now, this isn't, you know, Elon Musk saying, guys, you suck, dude. No, 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 no. United States Chamber of Commerce. That's a big deal. And this is something we're really going to have to keep our eye on because it very well could cause the SEC to change their tune. What'll happen then? Probably more shit coinery. (laughs) And speaking of, and no, we're not going to actually talk about shit coins, but there is a shit coiner in our midst. His name is Barry Silbert. United States Congressman Brad Sherman. Brad sent a letter to SEC chair calling attention to Grayscale Bitcoin Trust situation. Oh boy, BTC Casey, Bitcoin Magazine. United States Congressman Brad Sherman has sent a letter to Gary Gensler, chair of the United States Securities and Exchange Commission regarding the situation of Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. According to Sherman, as many as 850,000 retail investors, including some who used individual retirement account funds, are currently trapped in their GBTC investments due to the actions of GBTC and its parent company, Digital Currency Group. Sherman estimates that these investors' retirement security and in some cases their life savings may be at risk and that if the situation is not remedied, they could lose tens of billions of dollars of their savings. Sherman's concerns regarding GBTC stem from the fact that GBTC shares currently trade at a 42% discount to the Bitcoin value in the trust. And Grayscale has refused to redeem GBTC shares, citing Regulation M's prohibition on simultaneous sales and redemptions of the same security. Grayscale's head of investor relations, Reinhank Sharif Askari, 
admitted that the company's flooding of the market with GBTC by continuously issuing new shares between 2018 and 2021 drove the discount to its net asset value. They did it to themselves. Sherman alleges that Grayscale's actions are motivated by a desire to increase assets under management regardless of the impact on GBTC's retail investors. Grayscale charges users an annual 2% fee based on the actual value of Bitcoin, not the value of the GBTC that investors own. By charging more than four times what their competitors charge, Grayscale was able to bring in $615 million in fees alone in the year 2021, according to the letter. Sherman has posed several questions to the SEC related to the matter, including whether Regulation M is a barrier to allowing shareholder redemptions today, whether the SEC is aware of other specific rules and regulations that are a barrier to allowing shareholder redemptions today, and whether it is a matter of concern that Grayscale does not have a single independent director on either its board of directors or audit committee. In conclusion, Congressman Brad Sherman's letter to the SEC Chair Gary Gensler is raising concerns over the situation of Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Sherman is worried that as, as many as 850,000 retail investors could lose their retirement security and savings as they are currently trapped in that investment due to the actions of GBTC and Digital Currency Group. At Bitcoin 2023 in Miami, there will be a shareholders meetup, not a meeting, a shareholders meet up to discuss the next steps that concerned shareholders can take. This aims to be the largest gathering of shareholders since the beginning of the trust, with more than 30% of the 850,000 shareholders expected to attend. 30% of 850,000 investors. Okay, well, yeah, let's say that the people that are actually going to be there are, you know, people that bought the GBTC shares for a whole bunch of other people. But even then, let's say, you know, 30, let's say there was only 100,000 people that have anything to do with the buying and selling of GBTC shares. That means that 30, what, 30,000 of them are going to be at Miami at the uh, Bitcoin 2023 Miami conference. This, if that is actually true, then along with all the rest of the people that got nothing to do at all with GBTC, there could be 50,000, 60,000 people milling about that has something to do with Bitcoin in Miami soon, very, very soon. So we'll, we'll have to see. Will Gary Gensler listen to this one? I don't know. Brad Sherman, is he's been hot under the collar about Bitcoin for quite a while, but this one, this one, I agree with him. Barry Silbert's acting in very poor faith to the people that have bought his product and continue to pay him 2%. It's ridiculous. 42% discount to the native asset value is not something that I'd be very cheerful about holding. Would you? You buy a share of GBTC for 100 bucks and now it's worth, what, $68? And it's been that way forever. Because they, this shit started going on in 2018 when they just continuously printed shares. This is going to be bad. I was saying something about this shit yesterday, or at least the day before, that this is the last domino to fall for us to get out of this storm 
And if we can get out of this storm before the halving, whoa, Nelly, watch out because there could be a face ripping pump. But we need to get rid of this joker or at least get him to convert his shit over to a spot ETF. I don't want a spot ETF, but at least if, it, if he can convert it, then people will be able to call their own shots and be able to do whatever it is that they want with their shares. But 2%, that's going to be hard to let go of. And I'm not, I, I, I don't have any faith that Barry Silbert is acting in anybody's good faith. Now, Zero Sync, introducing validity proofs to Bitcoin. This is from No Bullshit Bitcoin, nobsbitcoin.com. We introduce ZeroSync, the first ever proof system addressing Bitcoin scalability challenges with succinct, non-interactive argument of knowledge, also known as SNARKs. ZeroSync compresses the entire Bitcoin blockchain into a compact proof of validity, enabling instant verification and unlocking various innovative applications. We discuss our prototype implementation of a chain state proof utilizing the Cairo language, U3XO, and recursive Starks. Our work enables diverse applications, including quick bootstrapping of full nodes, trustless-like clients, enhancing Lightning Network privacy, and secure cross-chain bridges. Chain state proofs require no consensus changes. There's no fork. (laughs) Which is crucial as forks in Bitcoin are challenging to implement and achieve consensus for. Despite the existing bottleneck of prover performance, we present a range of optimization strategies and demonstrate the practicality of generating a complete chain state proof. Finally, we introduce ZK Coins, a client-side validation protocol combined with zero-knowledge snarks, drastically improving privacy and throughput of token transactions. Not exactly excited about that one, but whatever. In combination with future Bitcoin features, such as simplicity, ZK Coins also enables private and more scalable BTC transactions. The groundbreaking compression capabilities of snarks initiated a paradigm shift in cryptocurrency design and ZeroSync is pioneering their application to Bitcoin. So snarks have been around forever. They were being talked about when I first got into Bitcoin back in the summer of 2015, right? Well, looks like ZeroSync, they've got they've they've got something here that is implementable and it doesn't cause a chain split. And what do they say? Compresses the entire Bitcoin blockchain into a compact proof of validity. You'd be able to bootstrap a full node really quick, be up and running, and then if you so choose, be able to get the entirety of the blockchain later. But you wouldn't have to wait four days for all the blocks to be downloaded and validated on your Raspberry Pi to be able to have a full Bitcoin node up and running. That's what it sounds like, and I'm pretty sure that I'm right, but we've got other fish to fry, and his name is... Duquan. Terra Luna founder Duquan Bale. Uh, he's getting bailed out. His bail terms have been officially accepted by a Montenegro court. Savannah Fortis, Cointelegraph.com. Montenegro has granted approval to the bail terms proposed by lawyers for Terra founder Duquan, who was charged with criminal offenses 
of document forgery under Montenegrin law. According to the official document released by local authorities on May the 12th, the court has accepted the proposed bail offer for Quan and Han Cheng Jun, Terraform Labs chief financial officer of what, 436,000 US dollars each. This is in addition to being put under house arrest instead of being taken into custody. According to the documents, if the house arrest is compromised, the bail will be entered into a special section of the court's working budget. Additionally, the notice said it would be necessary to verify the authenticity of travel documents and identity cards, which were allegedly issued by the competent authorities of Belgium. This update comes only one day after Quan's lawyers filed their request for such conditions to the Montenegrin authorities. If the party is unsatisfied with the court decision, they have three days to repeal. So looks like Quan's getting out. How much you want to think he's a flight risk? <laughs> I would call this guy a flight risk, which is why I'm not sure why Montenegro courts released him. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that all they really got on this guy from Montenegro's standpoint is document, document forgery. Eh, it's not really quite all that sexy, is it? It's not like, you know, if the SEC files charges on Quan for defrauding the American citizenry, that's a sexy charge. You're not letting anybody go for that one. So who knows? Montenegro, might, he might actually slip away. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely be watching for that one. But watch on, watch this. This is, this is chicanery in ways I just, I've, I never even imagined this possibility. The Internal Revenue Service of the United States is training Ukraine law enforcement to track and trace Russia's cryptocurrency moves. Pedro Salimano has it for decrypt. Amid the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine, the United States and its private sector partners want to lend a hand to Ukrainian authorities looking to hinder Russian actors using cryptocurrencies to skirt sanctions, something European authorities have already tried to address. Today, today the Internal Revenue Services Criminal Investigations Unit and blockchain analytics firm Chainalysis kicked off an advanced in-person blockchain analysis training in Frankfurt, Germany for Ukrainian law enforcement agencies. IRSCI, the Criminal Investigations Group, Chief Jim Lee told Decrypt and other media outlets on a call Thursday morning that he wants to highlight the importance of partnerships and how they are critical to doing business, <laughs> adding that they are key to unraveling complex financial transactions. 20 Ukrainian investigators from three different law enforcement agencies, the National Police, the Economic Security Bureau, and the Department of Cyber and Information Security of the Security Services are participating in the training to learn how to analyze blockchain data, trace cryptocurrency transactions, and develop operational leads. Quote, this is a step forward in building trust among different agencies and private sector companies. The more successful everyone will be if the public sector allocates the necessary resources, said Michael Gronager, a, the co-founder and CEO of blockchain, yep, blockchain analytics company, Chainalysis, the lead private sector partner. Chainalysis is working with the IRS and Ukrainian security personnel to do this. Everything about chain analysis is wrong. Quote, 
It is important for us to identify all Russian assets on the territory of Ukraine. We resist the aggressor state, not only on the battlefield, but also on the economic front, said Eduard Fedorov, acting director of the Economic Security Bureau of Ukraine in a press release. According to governmental and private entities, cryptocurrencies are playing both good and bad roles in the conflict. On one hand, pro-Russian groups are soliciting donations in crypto with over 100 different groups receiving $5 million in the past year, although this number has been dropping in recent months. Yeah, they're probably going to ordinals. Meanwhile, crypto assets have also been used for good, whether that is direct aid in the war effort or for humanitarian needs. Organizations and individuals in Ukraine have received more than $50 million of worth. Authorities noted on the call that the majority of the transactions, both good and bad, are mostly done in Bitcoin and stablecoins, with the latter seeing a significant uptick over the recent months. Again, probably because of ordinals. But yeah, dude, so chain analysis, the IRS and Ukrainian security officials are having a big old powwow on how to do the very thing that, yeah, sure, it's great. You hate Russia. Everybody hates Russia. Ukraine's, you know, being picked on. I get it. How soon after all that ends, because eventually it will end, the conflict in Ukraine will, will end. How long before Ukrainian officials use what they've learned against their own citizenry? And chain analysis helped. So... Kudos to those guys, I guess. Whatever. Pinster. 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 Boards for curating and sharing ideas and interest. Again, no bullshit Bitcoin. No BSBitcoin.com. With Pinster, you can easily organize and discover new ideas, inspiration, and recommendations. Whether you're into movies, music, food, Bitcoin, Nostra, or anything else, Pinster has got you covered. Plus, you can engage with other users by starring, commenting, and zapping their boards. Features decentralized and censorship-resistant backend with the Nostr protocol, open source and transparent, create public boards of pins on almost any topic, star, comment, and zap other users' boards, easy-to-use interface, user-friendly features. So Pinterest has now come to Nostr. That's what this is. All of this is going to come to Nostr. That's one of the reasons why you, if you don't already have your private public key pair, you need to spin them up and it's easy. It doesn't even cost you anything. It literally, there's no transaction fee with Bitcoin or Lightning or, or anything. It's free. And almost all of your Nostra clients have that ability to spin up a private public key pair for you. Get Albi. The extent web the web extension or the browser extension that I use to manage my private public key pair will also generate you a pi private public key pair, and you too can go look and see what the hell Pinster is all about. I haven't actually looked at it yet, but you know we'll we'll see. Uh, there's a there. We'll see what what does the website look like. Okay, connect, confirm. Let's see what it looks like. Interesting. Okay, so it doesn't look like much so far. Um, I won't describe it because there's not much to describe. It kind of looks like being on like, you know, Domus. Uh, but there's just like, it's just like if, like uh, favorite movies from Sefer, uh, The Dark Knight, 
and it were like there's like what six yeah there's there's six paperclip looking icons and when you click it it drops down and there's like paperclip the dark knight you click it drops down year 2008 director christopher nolan imdb rating 9.0 url i to i the imdb.com title for the dark knight uh let's see there's directory french pleb i don't see anything there there's a, a test board nothing i'm just picking different ones well it 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 could end up being something who knows who knows but it looks like pinterest is coming to noster so noster eats the world last one up bitcoin magazine btc casey marathon digital holdings faces a second subpoena by the sec in relation to a montana mining operation Marathon Digital, a public Bitcoin miner, has received another subpoena from the SEC regarding whether there were possible violations in federal securities laws in agreements related to Hardin, Montana data center facility that Marathon built. Quote, the company and certain of its executives received a subpoena to produce documents and communications related to the facility in the third quarter of 2021, a quarterly filing by the company stated. In that agreement, Marathon issued 6 million shares of restricted common stock in transactions exempt from registration under Section 4A2 of the Securities Act of 1933. However, the company filing revealed that it recently received another subpoena from the SEC on April the 10th, 2023, relating to, among other things, transactions with related parties. The company says... It is cooperating with the investigation. The facility in Montana was designed to have up to 100 megawatts of power, according to the filing. Marathon stock price has been volatile in recent months, reflecting the ups and downs of the Bitcoin market. However, the stock has generally followed an upward trend since early 2021 as the value of Bitcoin has risen. Okay, so they're under the thumb again by the SEC. We'll have to see what happens with Marathon, but Marathon's kind of, you know, They're again, I mean, they're not, I don't like centralization in the space, but right now, Marathon's kind of a big deal in the space. So this is something to watch. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Got a joke. Dad says, jokes, what do you call a deceased Finnish man? Finished. Get it? Okay, Um, let me know if you enjoyed the piece from Alan Savory uh, that I did in the first part of the show. Um, Need to figure, you know, always trying to figure out something else to do, something different to provide. You know, I mean, this is your show just as much as as it is my show. So let me know. I mean, does did that work for you? I mean, did, did you get did you get something out of that? You know, even if you didn't, I need to know. If you did, I need to know. But like a lot of people like, yeah, I really didn't like that. And they don't take the time to let me know. Then I can't, I don't know where, I I don't, I don't know where I'm going. It's sort of like flying blind. So I depend on you guys for getting me into the top five on the fountain charts and doing that by boosting me and, and, and streaming Satoshis to me. But also, I also depend on you guys to let me know what the hell's going on, right? So do that 
and go go check out the Aspenwood listing. I'm I'm serious, man. This place is one of the most beautiful places that I've ever been to in my life. The San Juan Mountains in southwestern Colorado are absolutely gorgeous. And I'm going to bring this up every once in a while. I want to I, I want to get those spots filled with people that want to go with their families or even just by themselves, you know, to this most beautiful place in the world. And so I'll talk about Mesa Verde. There's a train ride in Durango. There's day trips to Ure, which is the little Switzerland of America. And they call it the little Switzerland for reasons. And they're very tall reasons. You don't get to see stuff like this if you're living in the middle of Texas or Oklahoma or anywhere in the Plain States. And the people in the Appalachian Mountains... They don't have peaks like this. They don't have 14ers. They don't have 13ers. They don't see mountains that are so damn high that they ain't got trees on the top of it. And that's what you can see every day at Aspenwood. I'm providing the Verbo listing. Sign up, go, guarantee you'll have fun. This thing's been rated like 23 ratings, five-star ratings, all of them. There's a reason for that. You don't need to bring anything but your clothes, yourself, and food. We've even got salt and pepper. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.